In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Today is the third Sunday of Baba, and today's gospel is also read on the third Sunday of Peoni, which is approximately four months ago. So it's an important gospel that the church puts on the calendar uh, for us to read on more than one occasion. So Christ is pre uh, continuing to prevail in his ministry, performing all sorts of miracles and wonders, and his fame was growing throughout the land and miracles with, uh, that he did with nature, with healings, with raising people from the dead, power over uh, the spiritual realm as well, um, as well as calling forth the saints and casting out demons. No one in human history ever performed the miracles that he did in, in such a great frequency. Um, but it's no surprise, of course, with those who have faith in Christ, that we know that Christ was also the creator of the universe. He was there at the very beginning. Um, and once you slip into right before the beginning, you slip into eternity. So he was there from eternity, and he was there performing creation at the very beginning. And so we also know, therefore, that he's the one who also performed all the miracles of the Old Testament, from the parting of the Red Sea to the Jordan to the water flowing from the rock and all the other miracles, amazing wonders that were performed in the Old Testament. Uh, in this case, a person was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. Christ healed this miserable person and delivered him from being demon-possessed. And because of this great power he showed among the people, and because of his fame that was beginning to spread throughout all the land, the Pharisees became very jealous. Uh, as they said in, in uh, the Gospel of St. John, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. But because of their envy, they didn't recognize, um, you know, they didn't recognize his glory. Um, they, they did not even rec uh, criticize the actual act of kindness that he did in, in freeing this man of being demon-possessed and of being tortured by this demon, and also of healing him of being um, mute and blind. But um, they forgot all that and they criticized him as a person because of his envy. Uh, they attack Christ's person himself. So it's kind of like how politicians do it, right? When um, they attack the competitor rather than the real issues that that competitor stands for. Shows they don't care really about the issues. They just care about obtaining power and obtaining approval of the people, of the, of the multitude. So when the Pharisees came to do the same thing because they desperately were envious and they were desperately... Um, uh, wanting that approval of the people that Christ now was was now obtaining, um, and they, because of that envy, made some outrageous statements that Christ was doing these wonderful acts of mercy and love by Satan, and so no one was able to criticize the actual acts of love and kindness, but they attributed Christ's saving acts to Satan. Uh, seems kind of insane, right? Um, but this is how we act. We act kind of crazy when we're consumed with envy and jealousy from other people. Um, we shape our character around our actions, around what we imagine people are thinking of us, and we place great value on what we imagine they're thinking. And we don't even know what they're thinking, but we imagine it, and therefore we become slaves of this imaginary uh, belief of what the multitude uh, thinks, and then we do all sorts of insane things sometimes, just like the Pharisees did here. So instead, let us seek that everlasting glory, you know, that favor from God. That's the only person we should really care about and not other people. Um, he's the one who deeply desires to honor us in the sight of men, angels, and our enemies, who gives us more precious uh, things than any multitude can give us, right? 
So this wasn't the first time that they accused him of this. They accused him earlier in, in the ministry of Christ, but Christ was silent. But this time he chose to respond. Uh, and he responded with very powerful refutations. The first one is that he read their thoughts. He knew what they were thinking. Only God can reveal the thoughts and the hearts and knows what's deep inside of us. No one else, not Satan, and sometimes not even ourselves, know what's in the deep chamber of our hearts. But God knows, and he brings it to light. Sometimes to us for our own benefit, and sometimes for others, in front of others too, also for our benefit. Um, they should have paused at this. They should have paused on, hey, wait a minute, how did he know our thoughts? And they should have uh, understood who he was. He then says a universal truth. There was a second refutation that the kingdom of, uh, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. That if Satan is divided against Satan, then how can his kingdom stand? This goes for everything. Kingdoms, nations, families, churches, all are vulnerable when we're divided among ourselves. So when there's conflict, in the family, the family struggles. When there's conflict in the church, there it struggles. Conflict is natural, but when we deal with it aggressively and we allow it to cause divisions, that's when it weakens the organization, whether it's a company, whether it's a nation, whether it's a church on the local level. He also offered another refutation. He says that the apostles themselves performed these miracles. He says, I gave them authority. So. They had no issues when the apostles were doing the casting out of demons, but when Christ was doing it and getting the glory, that's when they um, started accusing him of such silliness. Uh, God gives the authority uh, to human beings to trample upon serpents and scorpions and upon all the power of the enemy, and only God can give this power. Fourthly, uh, he, he says, How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then he plunders the strong man's house? So this strong man, Christ came to bind, right? That strong man is Satan in the world who uses the uh, systems of the world to work against Christianity. But Christ comes and he binds Satan and he gives strength to his followers. Uh, he tackles and binds that strong man uh, who we know as Satan, so that he can take back what was stolen from God in the first place. Our ever-victorious God, our Lord Jesus Christ, makes open war against Satan. That's the other refutation, that when you really look at it, Christ and Satan are completely opposed to one another. Um, he bound him upon the victory of the cross. He gives us power to wage war and help uh, in taking back what was stolen and that originally belongs to God. And Christians are not afraid of Satan, right? And uh, we're not afraid of his systems that he put in the world as well. For he who is stronger and is in us than he who is in the world. But when we do wage war against Satan, we have to do so in the proper way. Firstly, we uh, raise we wage we war with the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the most powerful weapon we have. Like St. Paul who cast out the demon by saying, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it left her immediately. Or when St. Peter uh, approached the person who was begging, he said to him, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. It's this name that is powerful. We read, like for example, in the story of St. Anthony, the, the first monk uh, who made the first monastery. We know that the demons would often appear to him in very frightening ways and in scary ways in the middle of the night to try to scare him. And he would, uh, at the mere mention of our Lord Jesus Christ, they would vanish uh, like a vapor of smoke. And so we know that he, 
that our the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, whenever we mention the name of Christ or Jesus or God or the cross, we know that uh, our enemy cannot stand against that. Um, and we know that Christ is openly, um, like entirely against the satanic vials of the world, right? Satan wants an overreaching evil trend in society and corrupt values and beliefs and norms. Christ, uh, on the other hand, was against all of this. Christians and Christianity is against all of this. He wants holiness, purity, and peace to preside everywhere. So he rebukes such a comment that was void of any knowledge of scripture or who God is or who even of Satan is or even of common sense. That's the kind of thing that envy brought to them. But on the other hand, he says, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. In the Gospel of Luke, it says, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, showing that, and it implies that the work of God is, uh, of casting out demons is the work of God alone. It does not belong to anyone else. And if this is the case, if I am doing this by the Spirit of God, by the finger of God, then surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And wherever the kingdom is, there the king dwells. Wherever the kingdom is, there the king dwells. Uh, saying clearly that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the one and only God. And so he didn't say that outright, but when he says the kingdom of God has come upon you, what does that mean except the king himself has also come? This is the time that the prophets and the law all pointed to and prophesied about and rejoiced and celebrated in anticipation of that moment. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Not just come near you, but come upon you. It is by the Holy Spirit, of course, that we, uh, we, we receive the, um, the kingdom of God inside of us. He cast out the demon uh, while united with our fallen humanity. This is why Christ did not shy away from reading the book of Isaiah in chapter 61, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good things unto the meek. So on behalf of humanity, he receives this anointing from God. But he is, as also as St. Athanasius says, he is the giver of that spirit. He gives the Holy Spirit to humanity to dwell in us forever, to sanctify us, to lift us, to allow us to pray when we don't know how to pray, to understand things that cannot be put into words, to perform mighty acts and wonders among his people, and to cast out demons. The Holy Spirit leads us and it guides us in our life to reach that ultimate goal, to walk through the narrow gate and to go closer to God. He sanctified us. He sanctifies us. He reprimands us. He comforts us. He intercedes for us. He consecrates and devotes us and our works and works wonders in our midst. In John chapter 14, he says, The works that I do, he shall do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. And of course, he sends us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. And because he dwells in us through the gift of the Holy Spirit that we receive in baptism and the holy unction of the Myron oil, because he dwells in us, then the kingdom of God is upon us. It's close to us. It's even inside of us. The kingdom exists where the king dwells. If that's the case, then Christ dwells inside of us. Then the kingdom of God is inside of us. As Christ said himself, for indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. So how, do, how then do we abide in this kingdom? How do we abide in the kingdom of God that's um, able to give us all peace and security? 
To abide in the kingdom of God is to abide in the inward life. We have to look inwardly in our life. As we say in Psalm 51, Behold, you desire truth in the inward part, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. And God says in Psalm 23, My son, give me your heart. What does that mean, though, to live and to dive in the inward part? What it doesn't mean is that we focus on things on the outward, right? When we focus on money, when we focus on appearance, when we focus on what people think of us. These are all the outward life, right? Um, they're important for providing, but they're not important to have our affections and our focus of our life uh, be placed on them um, in, a, in a heavy means. But the inward life, it means firstly to know yourself. Few people ever evaluate themselves. They're quick to evaluate others, of course, right? And, it does, and that does them no good. Evaluating others does them no good. But evaluating ourselves, that does us the most good. And few really, really do that. So it's important for us to live in that inward life. We must find time to reflect and evaluate our life. Usually at the end of every day, we reflect on what worked and what didn't work that day. What is good and working in our life? Once we identify that, we thank God for that and give glory to Him. We don't take the glory from Him and attribute it to ourselves, but we give Him the glory because we know He is the one who provides us every good thing, and every good thing belongs to Him, and He gives it to us. Every virtue and every material thing is a gift from Him, entrusted to us, um, and that we should use it in beneficial ways. Do we find something that's wrong in our life, some weakness, some habitual sin that we have allowed to rule over us? We should humble ourselves before God and He will lift us up as we read today in the epistles. Um, he will give you power and cause victory to exist where there was once defeat. He'll cause victory to exist where there was one defeat, once defeat. Humility and self-denial must be the rule that governs our life and our relationship with God. Humility is a way of life. It's something that we, we're not humble one day and not the next day. It's something that we should... Uh, attribute it and, and let it and allow it to become part of our personality because God gives grace to the humble and to those who have humility so to live in the kingdom of God we must not allow that inner throne because he has a throne inside of us to have any other occupant no one or no other thing can sit on that inner throne in that inner kingdom of God except Christ himself we should not even allow ourselves to sit on that throne that throne that secret place in the heart that God has created in every human being belongs to him and we should allow him to sit on that throne. As St. John says, I must decrease, but he must increase. We have to allow that throne to have the true occupant. The owner of that throne is Christ our Lord. And once he dwells in our hearts, then the kingdom of God shines in our, in our lives with all of its blessings. So to know ourselves is to know the truth of the matter, that we in the height of our strength, you know, we're nothing. If we stand, we stand by the mercy of God and not by our own strength. And if we fall, um, He is ever willing and able to raise us again so that we can stand. So to evaluate ourselves, um, uh, we have to, that allows us to know ourselves. We need to find time to be alone, though, for that to happen. <clears throat> to be alone with the alone. We have to be alone with the alone. Right? God is alone in, in the universe. There's no one like Him. We have to be alone with Him. Um, and when we're alone, we're not really alone, for the Father is with us. We should ask ourselves often, um, how often are we alone to you know, read, 
do we, you know, you can't read in the middle of chaos, right? You have to be alone in quietness to read, to pray, to contemplate, to listen to hymns, to just pause and consider the God's glory and majesty and how he is present in our life. That requires quiet time for us to be alone and find that time so that we can go into the inward kingdom that exists inside of us. To realize the true treasure that's inside of us, which is that kingdom of God, which is where he is. God has placed this secret place in each of us and wants to encounter each of us in that secret place. Sometimes we discover, though, when we're looking inwardly, we discover things that are not the best of things. Uh, I quote Pope Shenouda, who has a nice contemplation. He says, Sometimes, my Lord, when I sit with myself and examine it more profoundly, I find in the corners serpents and scorpions lying, resting within me. When I look at these serpents and scorpions, they wake up and bite or sting my conscience. So I leave them asleep so that they may not make me suffer. But what is the use of leaving them so that, leaving them so and closing my eyes in order to not see them and feel at rest? In fact, I deceive myself and escape from it. In reflecting inwardly where the kingdom of God is, we may discover things that make us feel uncomfortable. And it kind of makes our conscience kind of rebuke us a little bit. We may not wish to deal with such a thing. Um, you know, if our conscience accuses us, we, we'd rather just leave it alone rather than make us feel a little uncomfortable. It reminds me of somebody who is out of shape, right? And we somebody puts a mirror in front of them. In their mind, they think that they're perfectly in shape. But when they put a mirror in front of them, they see the truth of the matter. So instead of looking in the mirror, they'd rather break the mirror and live in their own imagination, right? So... In the same way, right, we have to look in that, in that inward part. And if we find something that is rebuking us, we know that God is there with us and, and our conscience will not rebuke us forever because God will be there to help us. But any growth that we encounter in our life, any growth, whether it's secular growth or spiritual growth, any growth happens because of a little bit of discomfort. When you look at your academics, you know, to get that degree, to get that job, to learn new things, that's uncomfortable at first. But as we grow in it, we, we reap the benefits from it. Spirituality is the same way. We have to look inwardly and deal with those demons that exist, those things that are inside of our hearts that make us feel uncomfortable. We tackle it and make war, that inward war. And when we face our demons and arm ourselves in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, repentance starts in our life very effectively. Repentance starts in the inward reflections and the inward struggles. That's where repentance begins. I know I'm quoting Pope Shenouda a lot, but I like what he says. If we win the battles from within, we will easily win the battles that are without. So may God grant us all to recognize that the kingdom of God is near us and even inside of us and has come upon us. And may he grant us those inner victories that allows him to sit on his inward throne for he is worthy of that throne, and he is worthy of all glory, honor, and majesty, now and forever, and on to the ages of all ages. Amen.